You're listening to the Happy People Podcast with Nye Armstrong. Today's guest is Sheikh Yasser Bajas. He and his family, it wouldn't be an understatement to say that they're like family to me now. Honestly, one of the best decisions I've ever made was going to him for personal counseling after my divorce. He made me face harsh truths about myself and my situation. He is a person that will hold up a mirror and ask you what you see. Sometimes it's not an enjoyable conversation because you have to face reality. And sometimes we bury reality, to be perfectly honest with you. But I tend to leave those conversations stronger and more stable and ready to move forward with a better foundation. I think he is one of the best scholars of Islam I've ever met, and his classes are legitimately life-changing. I really hope you enjoy this episode and stay tuned for a juicy one coming up with him next week about marriage. Enjoy! Let's connect with happy people diving deep on everything happy people with Nye Armstrong. So, Shik, do you remember the first time we ever met? That was a while back. I don't mm. remember. Um, it was actually at your, uh, well, talked, I would say. I met you at an ICNA, but the first time I, like, asked you questions and interacted with you was at your love note session back in New Jersey five, six years ago now. Mm. Um, and what I found super interesting in those classes was just how you go about living the dean and recommending things it's always very practical it's always with a mind to the past the present and the future has this always been sort of like the methodology that you approached when it came to your faith no well uh, when it comes to uh, you know studying sharia which is basically studying the islamic uh, uh, practice and law um, the purpose of the fiqh which is the into all jurisprudence of islamic uh, law the purpose of it is to give people answers to their questions. Mm-hmm. And these as- answers are supposed to be practical answers. I mean, giving theoretical answer, you know, an abstract answer, doesn't serve the purpose. Mm-mm. Unfortunately, we live in time right now uh, that many, many people who study fiqh, they're more into the theory of law than the application of it. Mm. So therefore, they memorize the rules, they memorize the laws, they memorize even the maxim that governs Islamic law. But when you try to put them into practice, they have the hurdle of, you know, of trying to make it practical. Mm-hmm. And as a result, they give people answers that are just uh, abstract answers. Like, so they tell them, so what do I do in this situation? Well, according to such and such, you know, opinion, such and such opinion, the answer is this. Yeah. But, okay, I, can I, how can I put this into practice? Well, I just gave you the answer. You deal with it. Yeah. So that kind of, like, approach that is not, uh, uh, personally, I felt kind of, like, uh, uh, completely unpractical, not the purpose of the law itself. And it's not, these are not my words, as a matter of fact. These are the words of, of gra- great classical scholars like Sheikh Hassan ibn Taymiyyah and others that the fiqh has to be practical and has to give real answers to real situations. Mm-hmm. If the situation was theoretical, we understand. But if the situation is real, then we have to provide an answer. If we don't have an answer, then we say, I don't know. In this case, I will abstain. I would say, I don't know. And I'll, uh, I'll, I'll wait until further development, maybe more knowledge, more, uh, um, I don't know, more... Uh, scenarios that they would develop to bring ease to the difficulties because one of the maxims that governs Islamic law 
is called la darara wa la dirar, which means there should be no harm and no inflicting of harm. Also, part of it is a reduction of difficulty and removal of hardships. These are major principles of Islamic law that needs to be applied in every aspect of our faith. Mm-hmm. So it's all about practicality, that's why. Now, did you have somebody like that growing up that was that way towards you? Yes, one of my main, main and major mentors was Sheikh Al-Uthaymin, rahimahullah ta'ala, uh, the one whom I studied with for some time, alhamdulillah, and I learned from him more than just knowledge. I learned from him system, discipline, I learned from him really the, the, uh, the application of faith in the life of people. He was a people's person. Everybody met Sheikh Uthaymin would love him. He's always smiling, he's always encouraging people to ask questions. He's always there to you know, understand the situation. He even asked deeper questions to get to know what the situation is before he could give an answer. And I've seen multiple times from him these, these issues. So I learned from him that, you know what? He is really trying to understand what the situation was so he could give the right answer. So one mm-hmm. time I remember we were during Hajj time. And a guy came and asked the sheikh a question that has to do with a conflict between him and his spouse. So, uh, and you know, in Hajj, most people, they, uh, um, they come from all over the world. So they're not local. Mm-hmm. So obviously the man, the prophet, I mean the sheikh, he told him, he said, uh, um, uh, where's, your, where's your wife? Is she with you here? He goes, she's with me, but not here in the, in, in the camp. He goes, okay, can you bring her? And this, he told him, yes, I can. He goes, go, go bring me your wife because I want to hear her side of the story because I cannot give you an answer based on what you're just saying. Mm-hmm. This is what you're asking is not a fatwa, which means a religious verdict. It's more of like a litigation mm-hmm. and requires two parties to give their cases so you can give the right answer for that. So one example I saw, I thought like, wow, this is very powerful. I never really since then, you know, uh, I, I, I never uh, heard one side of the story without asking for other people to give me the other side of the story. Because again, Specifically, when, it, when it's a matter of, uh, of asking about something that, needs, that requires a consequence, that requires an action item afterwards, you really need to understand what is the entire story, the mm-hmm. context of the story, before you can give an answer. So that's what brings practicality into play. Mm-hmm. Did you always want to be an imam? Actually, no. I, I, I like to say that I became an accidental imam. <laughs> uh, all my life, I was growing up knowing that I'm going to be an engineer. Yeah. And I continued studying until I uh, applied and I started my uh, first year in engineering. But then uh, uh, in Kuwait back in 1990, 1991, the war started. So that's when I come to stop. And when I stopped the, the, uh, my studies, I waited until, of course, the war was over. But during that time, obviously, you go through all of reflection. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was uh, 19, 20 years old. So I thought, you know what? I need to go and explore something else. Yeah. Uh, I had a blessing of a friend who uh, asked me to go then for Umrah to visit Mecca and Medina at the time. And he said, hey, I'm going to apply to Medina University. Uh, why don't you bring your papers so we can do that? And I thought to myself, you know what? I'm not that a person that's going to be accepted because I'm an engineer or something like that. So I never thought that they would accept me, really. You didn't think you were religious enough? Um, I thought I, I was actually practicing, but I never thought I'm actually qualified to become a scholar or, or alim or this or that. Mm-hmm. I did my best, uh, and I was surprised and shocked when I, start, when I, when I was accepted and I joined the, the university, alhamdulillah. Uh, so I thought to myself, listen, I'm going to finish this. Once I'm done, I'm going to go back to engineering. Mm-hmm. But of course, as you study knowledge, you realize there is nothing better than this. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, that's it. This is it. No more engineering. What? But I used the engineering skills in studying fiqh. No. Oh, how did that apply? It's logic. Right. It's all like math. One plus one equals two. You have to apply certain theories, a certain you know rules mm-hmm. to create uh, the bigger picture. 
And that's how I, I, I studied it. So it's, it makes a lot of sense and it's easy for me to memorize and recall. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, you're right. Islam has a structure, but it also has the same with engineering. It has, like, sort of like an artistic overlay that, that, that just sort of, like, fills all the gaps and makes it just beautiful. That's, right? That is true. I mean, being an engineer, you deal with a lot of data and a lot of information. Of course, you know, facts, basically, mm-hmm. more factual. And one of my favorite subjects was the, th- the theory of law itself mm-hmm. because it's extremely logical, very abstract, very logical, and very, very nice. So I always wanted to study that. And uh, thank God it, it, it happened. And I used mm-hmm. engineering also, even, even in writing down my notes, as a matter of fact, mm-hmm. they look like an engineering, engineering way. Yeah. Uh, what, from, from studying in Medina to being in Bosnia, what was that? Because mm-hmm. you were, that's where you were first an imam, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, it wasn't an imam, but I was more into the humanitarian field and youth director. Oh, okay. So uh, here's the thing. When I finished university of Medina, alhamdulillah, I was blessed to be the valedictorian. Something I've never thought I would be, to be honest yeah. with you. But again, I took the knowledge. What do I want to do with it? So I have the opportunity to move on with master's degree and PhD afterwards, or take that knowledge and put it into practice. I'm a people's person. I mm. like to all in the field. So for me to go back again to master and then PhD, it's just a long journey. I said, you know what? And I took an advice of one of my mentors as well, uh, one, of the, one of the teachers there in Medina. He goes, listen, you're still young. Go in the field. When you get older a little bit, then settle down and start taking your master's and, and PhD and so on. So I, I looked around and said, okay, where can I put my knowledge into the best practice? Where do, do I believe people need it most? And at that time, we graduated in 1996. Uh, Bosnia was coming out of its uh, uh, civil war. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking to myself, you know what, that's the, maybe that's the best place. So I went straight right there to try to help, you know, redo, develop in the country again and, and deal with, with the people. Again, my, my, my faith was kind of encouraging me to go and put it into practice by helping people, improving the life of other people and bring better future for other people. And yeah. that's what we did there. When, what was like a big sort of wake up call when you're in the field and dealing one on one with those people and taking this structured law that you learn and now mm. applying it to this messy humanity so to speak you know the biggest the biggest take out for me from Bazin experience is really humbleness and humility because mm-hmm. you go there you think that you have the knowledge you have the resources you have everything and so on so so you're going there to really uh, to help people. You're, you're out there you know, thinking that you're going to help the people, you're going to change their lives, only to realize after interacting with them that they will change your life. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what happened, really. I was there going, in my mind, I'm going to help these people, I want to change their lives, I want to make this, I want to make that. But dealing with them and their circumstances, learning you know, from, their, from, their, uh, uh, from their experience mm-hmm. during war and after the war, mm-hmm. uh, it's just, it just is unbelievable. You realize the blessings that you have, and you also start learning the sense of humbleness and humility. Mm-hmm. And no matter how, think, how, how great you think you are, you know, the, what they've gone through, comparing to what you, where you came from and what you've gone through, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. It teaches that lesson that, you know what, don't look down upon these experiences because definitely what they've gone through is much greater than all the experience that you gained in your to your life. Mm-hmm. I think I think humbleness is something that you've carried with you to this day. Like if that is one characteristic I would apply to you, most definitely. Like uh, it's it's definitely refreshing. I'm <laughs> um, actually I'm um, honestly I try. Yeah. 
because I mean nobody can be perfect absolutely but, yeah. I'm, I'm a human being and I always keep reminding myself and keep saying uh, asking my Lord to forgive me what people don't know about me mm-hmm. and to make me better than what they think of me mm-hmm. uh, those are some powerful du'as and yeah, mashallah yes yeah. I, I try my best really uh, to again um, stay stay the course the same time, you know, I focus on the message, not the messenger. Mm-hmm. I don't care who's giving it. I don't care about my name or my fame. I care really about the message to deliver. That's all mm-hmm. I care about. Yeah. I can definitely see that. It's, um, it's again, refreshing. Um, how did you meet your wife? <laughs> well, it's an interesting Mashallah, thing. Mashallah, she's, she's a ball of fire that I love. No. <laughs> Well, it's Mashallah. an interesting thing, alhamdulillah. I'm blessed really to have her, alhamdulillah. Just a couple of months ago, we celebrated our 21st uh, anniversary. Uh, and four wonderful kids, alhamdulillah, rabbil alameen. She's uh, been always, uh, alhamdulillah, a great support and, you know, on, on my side. Yani. Um, I, honestly, I was in Bosnia, mm-hmm. and I spent there a year. And during that year, obviously, it was time. You said, you know what, now that I'm settling down, I need someone to help me out. I need someone to be with me. Mm-hmm. I had the opportunity to marry from the locals over there. But you know what? In my mind, I think, you know, I need someone who can help me out, someone who can help them out as well. Mm-hmm. So I called my mom. Uh, my mom was an Ammar and I said, hey, I'm getting married. I want to get married. I want you to look me for somebody. Uh, this is what I'm looking for. Please mm-hmm. help me out over here. I don't have much time. I have one month to go and meet and see and come back. Oh, my goodness. And we did. We, I went there, alhamdulillah. We, we had a, our meeting. We spoke, you know, for some time. We, we got to know each other, alhamdulillah. And then that was it. In 10 days, we were done. <laughs> wow, mashallah. And then she came back to Bosnia with she you. She came with me to Bosnia. So wow. in one month, we were together actually in Bosnia. And we were stuck for the past 21 years. <laughs> I love how when you were phrasing looking for a wife, you were looking for a partner. No. Like that, to me, is speaks volumes to sort of what you teach and how you approach marriage what made you sort of focus on that because it is a particular speciality of yours now what made you sort of start reading into it just sort of like your own experience and then trying to help others with it or well frankly at the beginning obviously because of my need to be with somebody who could understand where i'm going and where we're going to be going so we need to partner with each other on on this on this matter i don't Mm -hmm. want to put her in a difficult situation i don't want her to put me in a difficult situation Alhamdulillah, it worked out very well for the last four years in Bosnia, and then we decided to come to the U.S. over here. The first few years, I tell the truth, it wasn't that easy because there were a lot of adjustments uh, and, and, and the distance and difficulty and so forth. But then later on, Alhamdulillah, things went very smooth for the last um, At some point in, in, in our life, obviously, I need to learn more about my relationship. Mm-hmm. And when I started joining Al Maghrib Institute and my first uh, with my second class, which was uh, Fiqh of Love, mm-hmm. teaching about marriage relations and all that comes with it, and that's when I started expanding my readings, expanding my understanding of it. You know, I was focusing on uh, what we called family law from a Muslim perspective, mm-hmm. and I started start studying the Prophet's stories with his family and his life and so on, and try to understand the human psychology behind it, combining all this together. I learn much more than I teach, really. Mm-hmm. There is so much I learn uh, uh, when, when I prepare my class and my sessions. And, and obviously, I try to apply it first. Mm-hmm. I hope I'm doing a good job, but that's something you need to ask Kiva, not me. <laughs> One of, I remember in Love Notes, you told a story about how you wanted to get your feet like <laughs> <laughs> massage or something yeah. that story i'll let it for anybody if you ever tell it in every class but in that class i die laughing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then i remember when i met her i was like this is what he told me and she was just like mm. 
Well, did she tell about the story herself as well? <laughs> she told me her perspective. She was like, once I do it, he won't say anything again. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It was a joke, though, but she took it yeah, seriously. Mashallah. It, it, it was fun. It was yeah, fun, I have to say, like, um, now is Ramadan. What would you say is your favorite, favorite, is this your favorite time of the year? Well, as an imam, mm-hmm. maybe not. <laughs> As a yeah. as a person, absolutely, mm-hmm. I love the spirit of the month of Ramadan. Really, it's just beautiful. It's amazing. It's gorgeous. As an imam, obviously, you really live to serve the people. Frankly, I mean, the mm-hmm. last one would enjoy Ramadan would be probably the imam or someone who serves in the community. Mm-hmm. Why? Because you have to make sure everybody, alhamdulillah, entertained. Everybody's been taken care of. You know, you have to listen to people. And Subhanallah, mm-hmm. Ramadan when many many people come. Uh, you expect people to come with joy and happiness and so on, but you only hear the complaints. Right. You know, out of a thousand people who come to pray tarawih, for example, pray uh, the night prayers, for instance, out of a thousand people probably, you will have about 20, 30 people coming to complain about the AC was too cold, too hot, the light was not this and that, and the other 900 people, you just go to their houses, you're happy with what they had. Mm-hmm. You don't hear that no. from them, but you hear only the complaints. So it's hard really to manage that as an imam. But alhamdulillah, we do our best again. We look into it as, mm-hmm. you know, it's an experience. Mm-hmm. We just, one of those difficulties, we're going to move on, inshallah. Ta'ala. As an individual, I love the spirit of the month of Ramadan. Yeah. What does it mean to you? The spirit of Ramadan itself? Mm-hmm. It's out of this world. Yeah. It's a break out of this world, really. I mean, the fact that you focus on yourself, on your soul, and your spirit, you focus on the Quran, you focus on, you know, others, you, you think about charity, you think about, okay, um, you know, what am I going to do? How am I going to benefit people tonight? And this and that. It's just an experience out of this world. Also, the bonding, the people, the experience in itself is just amazing. I mean, really, the fruit of it would be towards the end. Because that's when you start, you know, realizing, okay, Ramadan is coming to an end. Oh, my God, I'm going to go back again to my old self. That's a scary thing for many, many people. So that's why they want to keep holding on to Ramadan, the spirit of Ramadan. Mm-hmm. So it's all about the, the, the family feel, the, the spiritual experience, and, and just something that is out of this world. If somebody like me or somebody who's not Muslim but is very empathetic and wants to be involved, what would you sort of um, recommend to them so that they can experience that family experience of Ramadan? Because as a convert, I don't, my family doesn't absolutely but like masjid life is completely different it becomes your family and as a matter of fact that's what i mean by the family yeah. at home mm-hmm. we're all in the masjid anyway most yeah. of the time <laughs> even yeah. my kids i don't see them sometimes you know because they're also busy mm-hmm. with their friends and other families and all the stuff and so on so the masjid becomes our family right and our family becomes part of the bigger family as well too. Mm-hmm. so that's the spirit so if anyone is interested in experiencing that i recommend for them to come at one of those weekend iftars that we have when break the fast at mm-hmm. the masjid to see, you know, the number of people and the different, you know, socioeconomic status, you mm-hmm. know, of the people and all that stuff. And so and they all share the same meal together, the joy of breaking the fast. It's unbelievable feeling. Mm-hmm. And then after that, you know, the, the, the chit-chatting and the chilling and just enjoying some time together, it's, it's just amazing. This is something we wish we can have it every single day and every single night. Mm-hmm. But obviously, life would, would go on until next year. 